Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Youth Pastor Blake Bells. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. We were meant to live. That's the series that we're in today. And sometimes our behaviors and our attitudes and our actions require an explanation from people. And I'm in the cable business. I work in cable, and a lot of you may have underground cable, aerial cable, but we, ha- we work in pedestals that are normally in the front of your yard, like right next to the street, maybe at the end of your driveway. And it's normally next to like an electrical box or maybe a phone box. But if you know what I'm talking about, maybe you do, maybe you don't. A lot of people, you know, have an urge to plant stuff around them. I encourage you not to do that in the name of cable guys, okay? Just resist the communist uh, oppression of your HOA and don't plant stuff around your cable peds, okay? It's, it's rough on cable guys. But when I open up a cable pedestal, I look inside of it. Because you'll, you never know what you're going to see inside of there. And before I'm looking at how the cables ran or anything, I'm looking for threats, okay? I'm looking for snakes. I'm looking for spiders. I'm looking for, sometimes there's, I've seen weapons in them. I've seen drug paraphernalia. There, I mean, you want to look in there before you just stick your hands in there, okay? And I kind of I do that before I start my work. And when I was training someone at one point that had been in the company and they were cross-training cross, cross with me, and I was, we were driving to the next job, so he raised the question. He said, so have you always had this fear of spiders, or is that? And I just said, whoa, whoa, I, fear? I don't have a fear of spiders. And he said, well, you, I mean, it kind of looks like you do. And I said, I have a very healthy awareness of spiders, okay? I know that they're there. And the thing is, is that I have seen, I've seen people bit by black widows. I know a guy that was well over 300 pounds, a large man who was bit by a black widow, who he was out of commission for a few days throwing up and stuff. I don't want any part of that. I know a guy that was a tough guy. He was at ranger school, and he, you know, he got bit by a, black, or by a brown recluse and had to like, get rotated for two weeks because he was waiting for parts of his body to quit rotting. Okay, I, I'm going to look before I stick my hands you know, in there to get bit by something, and I told him that. But my, my behavior made him ask for an explanation. And I want you to know that today in our text, we're going to look at how our behavior and how we are meant to live lives that require an explanation from people that don't understand, that require an explanation from the world. That's what I want to look at today. We're going to be in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 22. This is page 1015 in the Bible that's under your seat. Um, If you would, please stand as we read from God's Word. We're going to go ahead and get into it. We're going to shift our position to say, God, we are ready for what you have for us. Teach us from your word today. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. It says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, Let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed." 
Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves, it now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. God, we ask that you will guide us through your word today, that you will move me aside and speak through me, Lord. And anyone in this room that has questions, Lord, I pray that they find answers. I pray that you will open eyes today, that you will encourage your people. It's in your name, Jesus Christ, we pray. We ask for your blessing to the reading and the hearing of your word. Amen. You all can go ahead and have a seat. So last week, there was a, a young man here from Cameroon. He was at church here last weekend, and then um, I was at a graduation party with him later that day, and I got asking him about Cameroon, and he came over here when he was a freshman. He was talking about his transition from, the United, from Cameroon to the United States, and, and I asked him as he was talking, he was just talking about people in the United States, and I said, I said, are we pretty soft? I said, are the people in the United States pretty soft? And he said, yeah, yeah, man, the people, they're pretty soft here. And, and I know, he didn't have to say it, but I know deep down he meant, but not you, Blake. You know, you're a pretty hard, tough guy. Okay, he didn't have to say that. But as he was saying that, I thought, you know, I can see where you say that. But, you know, I get it because we have some nice things. We all have cars, a lot of that. But we're also a spiritual softness that happens to us. Okay, a spiritual softness. And I want to address this because I want you to understand who Peter is talking to in this text, who he is writing to. Okay, he's writing to a church that is, that is suffering, a church that has some real persecution. And we have here in the United States, we, have, we kind of live in this bubble where when you become a Christian, that means everything lines up, everything's going to go well, that's great. You know, it's good. It means that your relationships are going to come together. You're going to find the girl or guy you've been wanting to be with, all those cool things. But Peter is talking to people that when you became a Christian, and man, you had fear for your life, fear for losing life, limb, family. There was some real tribulation and persecution that came with saying that you are associated with Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying here. That's what he's, he, that, these are people that he's talking to. And for us in the United States, you know, we, we like to say that we're on fire. We like to say that, man, uh, I'm, I'm excited about God. And, 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 but in that time, for what we're looking at, to be on fire for God is, I mean, to be on fire for God, that meant that they woke up eager about how they were going to spread the gospel and how they were going to stay alive that day. Okay, those are the two main things. How can, I, how can I spread the gospel and stay alive? For us, it's more like, how can we, how can we do our, our five-minute devotion, and then do I want an iced latte or a hot latte? You know, it's like, th those are our stresses. But here you have them looking at their lives like it was real persecution, and we, here's the mistake that we make in the United States. We look at that and think, man, it was rough then. It was rough then. Here's the reality. It's rough 
everywhere but here, guys. We, we have a nation that was founded on, on biblical principles, and we have religious freedom here, but there are places all over the world that are experiencing this type of life right now. So I don't think that we need to, you know, beat ourselves up and be upset all the time because we're not being persecuted all the time. We should be thankful and thank God for that and use the religious freedom that we have in this country. And we should also understand that there are people being persecuted today, all right? But these, this is who Peter is talking to. He's talking to those people, and he gets into it, and he says, this is how we are meant to live. First Peter 3, 8 through 9 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on contrary, bless. For this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. He's referring to everybody. The past few weeks, he's talked to slaves. He's talked to wives, husbands. He's saying everybody. And he wants to mention some things that matter. And I've got a lot of ground to cover today. But he says, first of all, he says relationships matter. Your relationships matter. Things are going to go south in your relationship, and you need to make sure that you speak with grace. He goes on to say, and uh, let's see, 1 Peter 3, 10 through 14, he starts, he starts getting into, um, he's quoting David here. He's quoting a psalm. It says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. That sounds a lot like whoever wants to live a good life. And that's what this series is. We were meant to live. We were meant to live good lives, lives to love life and to have good days. That's, that's something exciting. That's something that we can strive for. And he says, here's what you do. First thing he says, words matter. Our words matter. He says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You got to control your tongue. He says, uh, also in James 3.10, we see it says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Brothers, this shouldn't be. This ought not to be. You shouldn't have blessing and cursing coming out of your mouth. This seems pretty simple, but he's going through this. Then he says the next thing, actions matter. 1 Peter 3.11 says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Actions matter. He's saying what you do matters. But I love what he says about peace, Okay. He said, if you seek, you better seek peace. Seek peace. Here, here's the thing. If you don't seek peace, then it's a guarantee you'll find conflict. And when it comes to our relationships, he's saying, you better seek peace or you're going to find conflict. When it comes to work, if you want peace, you have to seek it or you're going to find conflict. At school, if you want peace, you seek it or you're going to find conflict. It means we have got, we're going to have to work for this, is what he's saying. You're going to have to work for peace if you want some. And... But then he continues to go on. Uh, this is 1 Peter 3, 12 through 15. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And we look at this at first. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And it's kind of like, you know, I have to do right, or, or I'm going to get the face of the Lord, because if I do evil, I'm going to get, you know, he's going to be upset with me. And if I have to do right so that he hears me. And here's the thing. Peter's already been speaking in the first two chapters how we are already righteous. We are already accepted. We are already loved by God. Okay? So when we read this, we kind of see what he's talking about. He's saying... God's eyes are on the righteous, but the wicked, okay, he's against the wicked. 
And we see what he's talking about here because he follows that up. Who is there to harm you? He's letting you know that there's wicked, there's wicked there and there's those that will harm you. If you're a child of God and you know God loves you, you're going to act like a child of God. You're going you're to act like someone who's meant to, to live with requiring an explanation. And he goes on to say, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Because there's going to be opposition. He says, have no fear of them. There's going to be persecution. He's letting you know. And Paul's talking to you know, people that are being persecuted, facing real persecution. And he's saying, have no fear of them. But honor the Lord as holy. Have a reverent fear for God. And there comes to a point in your life where you have to understand, which are you going to fear the most? Are you going to fear people? Are you going to fear the world? You know, when I was younger, we had, um, you know, my mom would tell us kids to go and get something out of the basement. And there was, you know, it was kind of, I was fearful of the basement. I wasn't, I have an awareness of spiders, okay? Those are down there. And, you know, whatever else could come and get me out of the basement, there was a fear there. But there was also, in my head, all of the kids had an understanding that it doesn't matter what you're afraid of in the basement, you need to be more afraid of mom and what will happen to you if you don't come up with what she wants. So, with that being said, I'm not saying we have to have a fear of God because we're going to be punished if we don't do what he says, but here's what we should think about. What do you fear most? Do you fear persecution for representing Jesus Christ? Do you fear um, people to make fun of you? Do you fear awkward conversation to bring him up in a conversation? Do you fear those things? Do you fear those more than the souls of people that need to see Jesus Christ in you? Do you fear it more than that? Because you have to decide what you fear more. Do you fear more that you're not going to have a witness? Or do you fear more about your, your status? And that's what... He's trying to get across here. And it's, I think it's crazy. In 1 Peter 3.15, he says, put, put, in your, uh, put in your hearts, honor, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And we have to understand what's more important. And Charles Spurgeon says it, man, with power. He says this. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Man, that's powerful. What he's saying is, is that he expects us, we as Christians, need to be so confident that people that we know are going to hell, people that we've been ministering to, we get between them and hell and say, if you want to get to hell, you have got to step over me. I'm willing to die. I'm willing to put my, my status aside so that I can minister to you. That's what he's expecting here. 1 Peter 3.15 says, And always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That word defense is apologia. That's, that's the word that we get for apologetics. And that doesn't mean to apologize. It means to have a reason for your faith, to defend your faith, explain your faith. And he's saying, always be ready to do this. But he's making a major assumption here. Peter is making a major assumption that the readers and that us, the Christian church, that we are living lives that people will require an explanation from. We are living lives that people will look at us and say, why do you do that? Why do you act that way? Okay, how come your, your speech is so clean when you speak? You only speak and encourage people. You build people up. You don't tear them down. I've never heard you say something bad about anybody. And in our actions, we're all about pursuing peace. We're not creating conflict all the time. That's what he's expecting. He's making the assumptions that Christians do that, that we live good and honorable lives so that people 
raise the question, why do we do that? And he says this, be ready. Be ready to defend your faith. Be ready to explain why. Okay? Be ready. To me, okay, I've got issues. People know I have issues. My issues have issues. But, okay, I, personally, I'm going to offend some people in here, okay? But my philosophy is that a grown man should not wear flip-flops unless there is a body of water near. Okay, that's, that's just my thing, okay? It's, yeah, I, 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 don't know, I don't mean to step on anyone's toes, pun intended. Okay, but to me, a man has to be ready to do work, has to throw down, be ready to work. If someone needs them for something, if, if I see, okay, if I, if, someone, if I have to defend myself, protect my family, if I have to go save a kid that's walking in the street and a car's coming, the last thing I want to do is this. <laughs> and then go do it, okay? That's just not cool. I don't really think you should wear flip-flops, okay? And I'm looking at this text today saying, spiritually, arm yourselves. Don't be walking around in spiritual flip-flops, Okay? Put some combat boots on. Put some tennis shoes on, okay? <laughs> There's a reason. We need to be ready to defend our faith. I had a friend just tell me, oh, this guy asked me about God. I didn't know what to say, so I told him to come talk to you. I'm like, what? Dude, this is what we live for, man. If you, if you can live your life in a way that you don't have to awkwardly bring up God or bring up Jesus or throw jabs of Jesus in there, you just live your life and people ask you about God, that's the hope, man. Live a life requiring an explanation. And then when people ask, you be ready to tell them about the hope that is in you, about Jesus Christ. You see, your salvation has nothing to do with your works. But then your sanctification, you begin to create a desire to do good works for God. And where you have salvation, then you have sanctification. And when you have sanctification, the world wants an explanation for it. They want an explanation. So that is the hope, is that we live these lives like that. Guys, spreading the gospel, that's what we do. That's what we do. That should be our hope. That's what we wake up and we're ready to do. That should be what motivates us, what keeps us going. 1 Peter 3.16 goes on to say this, though. It says, having a good conscience so that when you, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Okay? He's also, he's letting us know. Okay, when you do this, you choose to live your life this way, you're going to get conflict. Expect it. He doesn't say, hey, if you get slandered. He says, when you get slandered. When you get slandered, he says, um, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Live your life that way. Uh, Craig Rochelle says, if you aren't making critics, you're probably not making an impact. And I think that's how our faith is. I recently... <laughs> I recently had a guy, like, I just thought, man, the second I thought, man, I don't really, no one's ever really persecuted me for my faith. It was, I had a guy let me know that I think I'm holy, but I'm actually the devil, okay? Like, straight up the devil. He just went for the kill shot. And, it, and I mean, it bothered me. It didn't, like, completely get me down, but it was, it was bothering me enough. And it was, and it was cool because pa uh, Pastor Neil told me, he said, you know, that Jesus, people said that he was, he was operating from the power of Beelzebub. And that he was accused of those things. And he lets us know that the world hates us. And the world, you know, the world, the world hates him. And it's going to hate you. And he kind of encouraged me in that. It's like, okay, I'm actually, you know, the, the takeaway from that is, you know, a guy just called me the devil. But, hey, guess what? You know, I'm, you know, God loves me. And that means, hey, I'm making critics. I'm, I'm doing work for God. I'm doing work for God. I'm, maybe I'm requiring some sort of explanation. Uh, people at work think it's kind of funny. And sometimes they'll just say, you devil, joking around. Um, it, they think it's funny. All right, so 1 Peter 3.17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good 
if that should be God's will than for doing evil. And that's the thing, guys. I want to be in a position where people can look at me and make fun of my life because they think I may be missing out on some things. I may be missing out on some parties. Um, I'm a one-woman man, so there's a lot of guys that would look at that and think that you know he's missing out or whatever. Let them make fun of me for that, but I don't want to be made fun of for being a hypocrite. I don't want to be made fun of for saying that I'm a Christian but not living like a Christian. I don't want to be made fun of for saying I follow Jesus, but my life looks nothing like following Jesus. Make fun of me for that. Make fun of me. I can't get through a conversation with Blake without him trying to invite me to church. Make fun of me for that. But we don't want to be made fun of for, for, for looking like a bunch of hypocrites that live just like the world, okay? Because we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. But here's the thing we have to catch with this. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. So hold on. It says, we suffer, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Christ suffered too. He suffered, and he suffered, and he brought us to God. It says later, it says, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. You see, we all, apart from Christ, had a major issue. We were separated from God. Apart from Christ, we had no way to talk to God. We had separation from God. Uh, Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you that he does not hear. That's a problem. Separation from God equals hell. And what God did, because he loved us so much, he had to figure out a way to make the separation work, to, to eliminate that separation. And what he did was he sent Jesus Christ to die in our place so that we would be united with our God. And Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life and died in our place so that whoever calls on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. Whoever calls on him, Jesus, God now looks at him and sees, look, he looks at us, and he sees the precious blood of Jesus. So we're able to come into communion with God. That's awesome. That's good stuff. But we have to understand the pattern there, right? Jesus, who we follow, who we emulate, who we want to be, suffered. Christ also suffered. So we, you know, it's kind of messed up to think that, okay, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus, so everything's going to be great for me. That's not the case. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. I should expect some conflict. I should expect a little bit of suffering, maybe a lot of suffering, because Christ also suffered. But there's good news in it. There's good news and there's encouragement. It goes on. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. We should put our flesh to death and be made alive in the spirit. And there's some encouragement to that that I want to talk to you about today. And this next part of this, it gets, I'm not going to lie to you, it's going to get a little weird, okay? It's going to get a little weird because this text goes on to say some crazy stuff. And I want to let you know, I'm going to read it. It says, in which we went, or in which it says he was made alive, or he was made death in the flesh. Jesus was made alive in the spirit. Picking up in verse 19, it says, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Peter, what are you doing to me right now? Okay, why, why are we going here? Why are we talking about all this? Okay, it says, Jesus was put to death in the flesh. 
He was put to death in the flesh. We know that he went to the cross and that it said he was made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits imprisoned. Okay, Jesus died on the cross. And then we know we have a three-day period there. And here Jesus, we see Jesus going to spirits in prison. And that word prison there is Tartarus, the Greek word for hell. Peter used that word for a reason because he was talking about in prison, in hell. After Jesus died on the cross, he was in the spirit, and then he went to hell and proclaimed his victory. We don't understand all that. I don't know why. There's a lot of cooler people that, that are a lot more intellectually sound, that have studied a lot more than me, that have cooler beards than me, that may be able to explain this a lot better. But here's what I'm seeing, and I encourage you to go read it and check it out for yourself, okay? Check it out. Don't come up to me after service and expect me to get red in the face defending this, because I'm not. I'm going to say, send me an email, and I'll check into it, okay? <laughs> so what happens is, is you see this, and I, we can look at Ephesians 4, 9 through 10 also says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? And people look at this and say, well, he was in heaven, then he came down to earth, but lower regions of the earth? What does that mean? Lower regions of the earth, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. He was declaring his victory. He was declaring his victory. And that's what Jesus does. When, when Jesus, he requires glory. And there were people that rebelled, and honestly, it says spirits in prison. I don't know for sure if it's talking about demons in prison or people that are now in prison that were in hell. And as you, this may be a bit much for you, but hell, what he's talking about here is no one's in the hell that we know of, the lake of fire. It says in Revelation that Hades and the, and will, be, will be put in the lake of fire. So everyone in Hades. So there's a, an existing hell right now. This is a bit much. Uh, right now, okay, that isn't the hell that's going to be in the future. That's, that's biblical, okay? The lake of fire is what Satan's going to be thrown into. Currently in hell, you've got spirits, you've got people who haven't believed in Jesus, but it's not the eternal hell, okay? That's a lot. So, with that understanding, that's where Jesus went and claimed his victory over death and sin. So, let's back up a little bit, okay? Maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you don't understand that. Maybe he didn't actually go to hell. Maybe he just took a trip to Alcatraz real quick and started talking to people in that prison. Either way, what was he doing? He was declaring his victory over sin. Can I get an amen for that? I'm wore out up here, okay? So, Jesus, here's Jesus proclaiming his victory over sin, over death, because he died on the cross, but guess what? He rose again. He rose again, and he deserves the victory. And this is a picture of our life as Christians. There is suffering now, but just like Jesus suffered, died on the cross, and then rose and declared victory, our lives are to represent that and that we will experience some suffering, some struggle, but there is victory at the end of it. He is saying, suffer now, glory later. Momentary affliction, eternal glory is what's waiting for us. He's saying temporary conflict, but we have, t we have eternal peace for us. That is what he's saying in this text. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this about our lives here on this earth. It says, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Any, anything good that you see in this world, you just wait because it's going to be incredible, even so much better. Heaven is going to be so much better. But we have to understand that there's going to be some struggle on this earth when you proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. There's going to be some conflict, but he has got some incredible glory waiting for us, and that's exciting. But then why is he bringing up Noah's time? 
Why is he talking about the time of Noah? And it's because when you look at Noah, that was a time when God looked at the earth and it was so sinful and so terrible that he wanted to destroy the earth. He found one man, Noah, who was righteous. And in Noah's eyes, if you looked at Noah's time, you would have looked at the earth and said, God is not in control at all. God has no control here. And Peter is addressing this time because he's looking at this church that he's speaking to, the Christian believers who are under so much persecution right now. And he's looking at them, and he's letting them know there was a time in our history, in Noah's day, when we felt like God was not in control. But guess what? God is control. We know because he sent the flood, right? He is in control of all things. He has all dominion. He has all power. It may not look like it. And the people that come against you and the evil forces that come against you as you pursue God, God is in control of them. They have to submit to his authority. That's why our last, te- our last verse says, 1 Peter 3, 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been what? Subjected to him. That means he's in charge of them. He's in control. And that was why it says that he went to, this, to the spirits in prison to declare his control and his authority. You thought he was dead. He's alive. You thought he was defeated. He's victorious. And there are times in our lives where we feel like we are defeated. There's times in our lives as we follow Jesus Christ where we are going to feel broken, unloved, unacceptable. We're going to feel like we cannot continue to press on, like we have no ability to keep moving forward. But God says, I'm in control. I have the victory. My Holy Spirit is inside of you. Therefore, you have victory in your life. And we are to declare that victory. But then he goes on and he makes an incredible correspondence here. He makes an incredible relation between baptism and good works. Here's what he says. It says, 1 Peter 3.21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we look at that and we're like, uh, what? You, and I think Peter even knows the conflict in that statement that baptism now saves you. Okay, he, he, he understood that because you can tell he understood the statement that he said, baptism saves you because he follows it right up with not as a removal of dirt from the body. Okay, well, he's saying baptism saves you, but not getting in the water and washing yourself, not getting under the water and getting dunked, that's not what saves you. He's saying baptism saves you, but it's not baptism that saves you. It's your belief that causes you to get baptized that saves you. Just like when you pray someone through uh, the sinner's prayer or the prayer for salvation, it's not those words or that ritual that saves them. It is their belief, them confessing with their mouth and believing in their hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's, it's that. When you have that, that's when you have salvation. That's what he's saying here. It's not the act of baptism, but what baptism means saves you. Do you see that? Baptism means I'm associating with Jesus Christ. And I'm letting the whole world know I'm associating with Jesus Christ. But he is making a connection here. And the connection that he is making is that baptism, just like Christians are to associate with baptism, we should also be associated with good works. Okay? Good works are not what saves us. Jesus Christ saves us. It said it clear. It said it said he died once and for all, right? He died for all sins. The death of Jesus Christ is what saves you. Baptism isn't what saves you. Good works isn't what saves you. Only Jesus Christ is what saves you. Your belief in him. He follows that up also because he says, but as an appeal to God for our good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
What is an appeal to God for a good conscience? That's what he's talking about. Paul's talking about in Romans 10 13 when he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When we call on the name of the Lord Jesus to come into our lives and make us whole, that is what saves us. But just as common as we associate Christians with baptism, Christians should be associated with good work. It's a result of our sanctification through Jesus Christ. It's our result of loving him. And when we associate with baptism, it's saying, because I love Jesus. And when we associate with good works, it's not because I'm trying to earn salvation and I'm trying to earn his love is because I am loved. And my declaration for his faith is when people look at me, when people look at me, they're going to see Jesus in me. And I want you all to know at your workplace, I don't go there. So for a couple of you, okay, a couple of you, I do go there because <laughs> I work with you. But I can't go to your workplace. Pastor Neil can't go to your workplace, okay? Whoever you listen to on the radio, your, your evangelist that you're listening to, they can't be in your workplace. But guess what? You are. And when you say, I'm a Christian, and you live a life requiring an explanation, the second you put the label of Jesus Christ on, you have a sermon that you are preaching every day with your life. And you are supposed to display that almost, and what he's making here, almost as if... Every single day when you went to work, you took one of those, you had it come in on forklifts, dropped in front of people, and you get in there and you get baptized in front of people. Every single day, that should be how apparent your good works are that make people ask, what's going on with you? What is this hope that's inside of you? People know that you are saved because of your actions, and that's, that's what he's relating to baptism. Just as much as people know who you are by your baptism, they should know who you are by your good works. Amen. And that's what we're getting at here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this out. I've been preaching a little long. That's, that's what I'm going to say it's okay. It's okay for some of you. Some of you may be getting bored, but I'm trying to speed up through it. <clears throat> All right, so we're going we're gonna to close it out. I'm just going to hit five points that we've covered already. The first one, he says, if you, wanna, if you were meant to live a life that requires an explanation, he says, live good lives. Live lives requiring an explanation. Okay? Nothing soft. Nothing soft, just as common as baptism. I remember doing boxing, trying to, trying, when I was, I was a little ambitious and tried to box, and I went to Bronx Hill. That was a place that we boxed, and um, the coach there was from the Bronx, and he had a sign up that said, um, it said, nothing soft comes from the Bronx, because he was actually from the Bronx, New York, and he, would, and he always said that, nothing soft, as we were working out, nothing soft, nothing soft. And man, how cool would it be if God and his angels were looking at Forward Church and said, nothing soft comes out of there. Nothing soft comes out of Forward Church. I know a guy that was here that was baptized and dedicated his life to Jesus because he said, I don't want anything soft. I don't want to be a soft Christian. I want to be a strong man of God. And I think that's what we are called to do. Nothing soft. Next thing, be ready to share your faith. No flip-flops. Okay? No flip-flops. Next, conflict is part of it. Conflict is part of it. It's what's going to happen. Number four, be assured that God is in control throughout the whole process. God is in control. You may not feel like it, but God is in control. Noah didn't feel like it in his day when evil was being ran, uh, was running rampant, but God was in control. Next thing, Jesus suffered. He suffered. And it's suffer now and glory later, just like Jesus. He suffered, but he set an incredible example for us to live, and now he's glorified at the right hand of the Father. In the book, History of, in the History of Christian Missions, Stephen Neal observes 
that under the Roman Empire, Christians had no legal right to exist. Every Christian knew that sooner or later, he might have to testify his faith at the cost of his life. And in that environment, the church grew like crazy. How in the world did the church grow like crazy with a group of people that woke up every day saying, my goal is to serve God, spread the gospel, and survive? How was that so appealing? Jesus touches up on it in Matthew 16, 25, when he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. God is calling us to live a life that when we are afraid of losing it or when the world threatens that, that we may lose our lives or our status, we're a people that say, I've already given it away. I've already given it to God. I can't surrender any more than I already have. You can't take from me what I've already given to my God. I've given him my life. I've given him my status. I've given him everything that I've got. I give him full dominion and control over my life, and we surrender our lives to him, and that is what he's called to be. That's what we're called to be, living lives that require an explanation from people. Here in a minute, we're going to have the band come up. I'm going to pray, and I want to invite anyone in here who doesn't know Jesus Christ and wants to receive him as their personal Lord and Savior. You come up here, you get in this altar, you pray. We're going to have starting point guys right after the service that will stand on either side of this stage and will lead you to God. I had a guy just last week come into me and say, I want to be saved. If that's you today, if you want to come up come in and be saved, you just walk up to them and say, how can I be saved? And guess what? They're going to have an explanation for the hope that is in them, and they can give you that hope today. And anyone else that's hearing this message saying, I don't want to be soft I want to focus on God. I want to give everything to him. I want to give him my life. If you just want to rededicate yourself for God, the altar is open, guys. Other than that, if, if everyone's good, then I just want to hear some incredible worship and some hands raised before our God and King who has victory over sin and death. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we are able to come before you. And we lift our hearts to you, Lord. We lift our eyes to you. We lift our hands to you, Father. I pray for anyone in this room that that feels beat up and feels like they're not adequate to serve you, Father. We know that you have made us adequate through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that anyone in here that's asking who you are, that you will reveal yourself to them, Lord, and there will be no shame in them, that you will reveal your truth and how much you love them, Lord, and that they will pursue you with everything that they have, Lord. Open eyes in this place. The message is over, but your work is still yet to be done. You have work to do in this place, and I ask that you continue to move freely in this place and that you work on hearts and minds. We thank you, God, for your love. We ask that you will continue to speak through your worship, Lord. We give everything to you, and we surrender to you. Lord, our hands are up, and we give it all to you, Father. Take our lives, take our needs, take our wants, Lord. We surrender everything to you because we give our lives to you. We need you, Lord. Set us on fire for you, God. Let us live lives that require an explanation. We love you, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as Lead Pastor Neil Krause continues in the series, Meant to Live. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.